We were dedicated to our marriage. To we were dedicated to each other. And we both really got a lot of fulfillment out of this process, this journey of learning about ourselves and opening up and connecting with other people that understood us, mutually benefiting from us supporting them and them supporting us. And it was funny how many more connections we ended up making. I mean, it's no secret that when you share your story, it gives permission to other people to share theirs. What's up, everybody? This is Matt here with the Husband-in-Law Podcast. This is where we share our stories of love, ex-love, marriage, ex-marriage, divorce, ex-divorce, and coming out of a closet that needed to be opened, and so much more. This podcast is for those who are looking to up their relationship game by understanding first yourself, and then others, like your wife, your husband, and your wife's ex-husband, on a whole new level. Welcome to the Husband-in-Law Podcast. Let's get this party started. Penny was born, and shortly after that, we decided to move back home to the States, and Steve got a job in Colorado Springs. What kind of job was it, Steve? So I had left the company I'd been with before in the hotel industry. When I left there, where the heck were we? Boise. When I left, the regional manager reached out and said, hey, at some point, I'm sure you're going to want to come back to the States. When you do, reach out to me, and I'll find you a job, because we want you back. So that's what I did. So I called him, or emailed or something, and said, hey... Heading back to the States, finished up here in Belize. Do you have any job openings? And he gave me a couple options. The one that sounded the most appealing was director of sales for a Hampton Inn in Colorado Springs. All right. So you pack everything up. You already said goodbye previously. Well, didn't didn't say goodbye. goodbye. (laughs) I just moved home. And so, yeah, but I was home. Like I had brought all of mine and Penny's stuff with me. So Steve just went back to Belize for a couple of weeks, put in his two weeks notice and then came back. We were in Boise for just a little while. All of our stuff was there, loaded up and moved down to Belize or Colorado. Whoa. Left Belize, moved to Colorado. <laughs> yes. Right. And we like rented a place without seeing it. We did. We just picked like a general area and said, all right. Here we go. Close to Steve's work. And I was like, oh, close to work, close we, to the mountains. Looks like a good spot to be. Looks like a good house and a good deal. The guys are making fun of me. Je- Jessica has a new habit of pulling on her neck. Neck skin. <laughs> yeah. While we're recording. Let's pull on the neck skin. Okay, so Steve interviewed there. I had never been there. And you hadn't really spent time there except for the interview. Right. So we pick a spot close to Steve's work and move in. Close to the mountains. Which is what we wanted. We wanted to build a mountain bike and run. Were you guys excited about this? I was pretty excited. Yeah, we yeah. were. We were both really was, excited to be back in the States. It was a good time to get back. Like, it was so isolated in Belize, and it was just... So why didn't you move back to Boise? Because that's where your house was, right? You still had the house? We did. But this is where the job opportunity was. Okay, so there's no job, op- job think- opportunities in Boise. Honestly, or did you I look? think we liked the idea of going somewhere new anyway. Yeah, the house was already rented, so we but again, figured I, why not okay. keep it rented. I literally made one call and said, what job openings do you have? And, and that was to the general manager? Regional manager that okay. I had worked, that had been over Boise when I was working in Boise. Okay, got it. So we go, we stayed in Boise for a little bit after Christmas. Steve went to Belize, and then he came back, and we all moved down to Colorado Springs. Packed up all of our stuff. They'd been in storage and moved down there. So in a couple, well, a couple episodes ago, we talked about how often people from the church will show up to help you move. 
And that was the biggest response I've ever seen from a church congregation that we moved into to help. Yeah, we had the entire U-Haul truck unloaded and in the house in 15 minutes flat. Holy cow. (laughs) I mean, it was like eight guys or so that showed up, all young guys, like they just brought brought their wives. Yeah. And the funny thing is, we just like clicked with these people. Yeah. And they were just like Insta friends. That's awesome. Yeah. It was really good. Reassuring. And I think that was something we needed right then was just to feel connected to people because we'd been working so hard at the church in Belize. And while we were connected to people, it was more, it was all leadership. Leadership, yeah. These these were people that were our demographic, our peers, our age, our, you know, similar backgrounds and upbringings. It was very nice to be back with people that were like us. Okay. Uh, Yeah, similar demographic. And it was fun. I mean, we instantly were like running with people and going to church activities and, and like getting invited over to people's houses. Yeah. And like meeting other couples kids. with other with their kids, our age, our kids' age. And, and that's the first time how, we've experienced that, like hanging out with families. How old was Betty at this time? She's only six weeks old. <laughs> so, but she had playmates. Well, she's, right? she's like other two six months old. old playmates. Yeah, you know. But it was fun to have people that had kids and like to interact with them and. I don't know. Like on the same schedule as us and yeah. Yeah. Nap kids are napping. But we're, we're going, we're going to, to the park and playing. Other, yeah. yeah but it really was ball. funny like how quickly we just bonded with this group. And like two months after being there for two months or something, I remember just saying like or someone saying, Gosh, I can't believe you've only been here two months. I feel like you've been here for like for a year. So instant friends. Yeah. It was really fun. And we're still friends with a lot of these people. Yeah. Jessica it, stayed in touch with them a lot more than I have, but yeah, I have. That's a girl thing, though, more than yeah. well. And I kind of had a falling out somewhat with some of them with this whole change after leaving Colorado Springs, but not really a falling out, but just. I think you somewhat removed yourself from the right, situation, to right? So we moved there at the end of January, and like getting settled into things. And this was the first time that we were somewhere that we could actually look into getting some support behind what we were dealing with. And we were doing pretty good, but it was like a cycle, I feel like, of we would talk about everything and we'd get it out and then we'd we'd be good for a while. And then you would see things slowly start to kind of fall apart in our relationship where Steve would start shutting down. It was just like too much to deal with. And then you would start And then I would start worrying. How long was this after you guys moved in? Moved to Colorado Springs? I'm just saying this was like the general cycle kind of of our marriage. And I think it was like a few months, like every few months, things kind of like would be really good. And then there would start to be some tension of me worrying about what's going on with Steve because he's shutting off and disconnecting from me. So, Steve, you had alluded in the last episode of the fact that, all right, you thought by the time Penny was born, you'd have this. I I wanted to have it behind me. I wanted this to not be a problem for me anymore of being gay. So obviously it's still not behind you and still not still not behind you. <laughs> still gay. St- Steve's still gay. Shocker. And you're still having these this roller coaster of ups and downs. Yeah. And I mean a big part of this at this point is the pornography. Yeah. And you I mean, I know you're hesitant at this point to say that, but that like that was a big issue and that was what we mostly addressed. Correct? Yeah. Because within the church, that was a big deal. And within the boundaries we were living in, like the guidelines we were trying to live in, neither of us were really okay with that within our marriage. Right. And I hated myself for it. 
Yeah. But I don't know why you say that I'm hesitant to say that. Like, now you you feel like the pornography wasn't a problem. Well, it's not that I don't feel that it wasn't a problem. It's just that I don't feel like it was the source of, like, porn did not make me gay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just that this was, We've this was the one, yeah, yeah. Just that this was the one outlet for the gay side of myself. Like, I just, I didn't engage in anything outside of that. And, I mean, clearly being gay was the issue, not... Pornography was the issue, but pornography but, was the expression of the issue. It yes. was the, it was the, yeah. I mean, it was the part of it that we dealt with that we, yes, that I was trying to control. Yes. Okay. So that's kind of what I want to make sure we're on the same page as, because I fully agree that pornography did not make you gay. And I want to make sure that is clear right. on all, none of us in this room feel that way Yeah. Right. because somebody has brought that up to us and we want to make sure that's clear. We don't feel that pornography made you gay but it was an issue the pornography was an issue it was because within our marriage it wasn't working it wasn't helping our marriage right. it was hindering no it. not by any means is it safe to say that it was a trigger or it was an it, outlet it was an outlet okay there were things that triggered it yeah but it was an outlet what were those things that triggered it stress Do you remember stress that totally makes sense stress seeing an attractive guy okay so I know this is always awkward asking this question, but your sex life, like at this time, Colorado Springs, after a baby, after every, like, usually after having a baby, a woman's body changes a little bit. Like, what was the sex life like? And again, that's always weird because here I'm sitting with my wife and <laughs> her ex-husband. Now but, you you want to know how the sex was? Yeah, yeah I, gotta, I, I guess I got to ask. <laughs> You know, everybody's thinking it. And we get asked this question a lot. At least I do. Do you get asked this question a lot, Steve? Not a ton, I guess, but... I get asked all the time. Hmm. So I want to hear what your take on it is. Yes, Steve. I remember asking you after you guys got married. Yeah. Is it different? So so how is sex with a straight man? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Steve and I have talked about this. Oh, cool. Can't wait to get to those episodes. The answer was yes, it was different. (laughs) I said it was different. I didn't say it was better or worse, but it's different. Right, it's a right. different man. It's a different right. relationship. And so I don't a different necessarily... different man with different attractions. <laughs> yes. So, of course... All right. Different episode. Skip that for now. <laughs> but we had a good sex life, quite honestly. And mostly because we connected emotionally. Like, we were very connected Steve wants to say something. Let him say something. I'm going to. Do you remember, Jessica, emotional sex, that term? Yes. That was... What is that? It was after we would have, like, a, a fight. really... Not a fight. Not a fight. Because we didn't really fight. It was good emotional sex. But when, bad. like... You know, we talked about... Jessica was talking about how we would kind of cycle through this phase, and I would shut down, and she would worry, and we would end up in a bad place when we finally, like, addressed it and talked about it and opened up to each other again. And usually it ended up leading to, like, a long, drawn-out, like, hours of conversation, and it just was, like, this huge burden off of both of us, and we just... We got back to a good place, and we felt close again. Stress and, was out. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then we would have emotional sex. <laughs> we were just so emotionally connected, connected okay. that that's just what it led to. And it was amazing. It was an, it was intimacy. And we talked to, so a little bit down the road, in a couple months, Steve started going to this counselor. And we talked to him about this, that it, we called it emotional foreplay. Like, and that was yeah. a term that we used with him is that it was like this emotional connection. And I think that's partially why we had a good sex life still, in spite of the fact Steve's gay, is that... We were attracted to each other emotionally. Like there was this emotional attraction. Attraction. And I would like to think that you were somewhat attracted to me physically, yeah. but I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. I always felt he was. I never felt like you weren't. 
So I don't know. It was. So that answer your question. But like literally, like I would talk to a lot of my friends in Colorado Springs. Like a lot of like people opened up to me about different things down there. And honestly, we had more sex than any other it, couple. It was funny. That I knew. I remember thinking that same thing in Colorado Springs. As we like just got to know people better and eventually like heard about their sex lives in some way or another. It was funny to us that like, huh, we have a better sex life than so-and-so. <laughs> and it was like common. Hmm. I don't remember to answer your question about post pregnancy. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I don't remember specifics on how that changed our sex life and I don't think a, it changed. In fact, change. if anything, I think it got better. I, I think it was as far as I remember, it got better. I think because I was more aware of my body at that point because I had put it through all of this. And while my body was different and I wasn't necessarily like I didn't have any issues with it. And so I, I yeah. You were comfortable with it. I was comfortable with it, yeah. So okay. I think that was good. I was just going to say, so at this point, we're very much aware that now we have resources we can turn to, mm-hmm. like to get help outside of the two of us. And Steve, I felt at that point was ready to open up to some of those resources. I was for like the first time I was ready to like actually go to some support groups or talk to a like. Yeah, no, well, so when you say support groups, is this support groups like you got on like we went a forum to, on website, like. We no. started talking to people. No, this is... originated because before we moved to Colorado Springs, I called ahead and found out what ward we were going to be in. I called the bishop okay, and said, introduced myself and said, we're moving into your ward. I'm married. I'm gay. We have a child. Explain the situation and basically said, you know, I, I, I'm going to need, as, as I've talked about in other episodes, this, need was, some help. this is what I did. I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your support as my church leader. Hmm. I'm going to need your help to keep going and to keep on the straight and narrow. To keep on the straight and narrow, yes. So he... <laughs> and actually, now that I think about it, that was in person. So when I called ahead, I must have just... Anyways, mostly you just get moved in when you called ahead. Yeah, I guess so. Because it was when I sat down with him. And he was a really good bishop. Really was good bishop. In his office? or was In this... his office okay. at church. And this must have just been our first Sunday there, or second Sunday or something. You're right. I'm getting all my details mixed up, as usual. Imagine but... <laughs> But I sat down with him and told him all this, and he just said, he was quiet for a minute, and then he said, I don't know what to say to this right now. He said, I've never dealt with this. I'm not sure what to do to help you. He said, give me a week to do some research and come back and meet with me. And I was, yeah, and I very much appreciated and respected his frankness and his honesty and the fact that no, he's never dealt with a gay member of his ward. Of his ward. Yeah. yeah. So a week later, I met with him and he let me know about a couple of resources that he thought would be helpful. One was a support group for pornography addicts, which was basically the 12-step AA program taken and applied to pornography, pornography addiction. And uh, then there's also... A counter, not counter, but along with that, there's a group, support group for wives of pornography addicts, right? Okay. It's for friends and family of pornography addicts. And it was specifically women. So it was all women. And and honestly, in that group as well, we sometimes had women that were pornography addicts, but they had two separate groups. They didn't send them with the men. They came in with the women, which made sense. What was the ratio? Just out of curiosity, like, what was the ratio? Like how many people came to class to no the like meetings, men or? and women 
ratio or did you even know there that? Was, group there was were, big. The men's group was big. There which would be like honestly 30 people, 20 people at least, I guess. Yeah. So we started going a few months into moving there to these groups. And like Steve would go one night and I would go another night. And um it was interesting because it was very freeing, I felt for me to actually have people I could talk to. That Steve wasn't worried about, oh, so-and-so is going to hear about this and it's going to spread or whatever. But we knew like it was a confidential group and most of these people didn't go to church with us. They were the same religion, but they weren't going to our congregation. And so it was kind of nice because it created some anonymity. And I can never say that word. Anonymity. Yeah. But it was really empowering for me to realize we were doing okay. Mm-hmm. Like listening to a lot of these other people, they were a mess. And like their marriages were falling apart because of this. And the women were so angry and bitter at their husbands. And it was so sad for me to see that. That instead of really trying to support this man, they were angry and bitter. and At the man. At their husbands. And it was tearing their relationship apart and ruining both their lives. So why wasn't it that for you, Jessica? Because you didn't feel those things. No. At least in very small degree compared to... It was interesting most... because I spoke a lot at these things and kind of gave my opinions and because that's the point of the support group. And I realized I had done a lot of the work that was in the, the workbooks that was for the women and the men. We used the same workbook when I first started right. as the addicts. And a lot of women had a hard time with that because... They had to focus in on themselves. Mm. They wanted to come in here and know how they were going to change their husband. Mm, And you can't change the other person. And that is something I realized is that I can't change Steve. Can't change anybody in any of my relationships. I can only change me and how I look at it and how I view it. And so I made it a point very early on to not take this personally, to not get angry at Steve because I didn't feel like it was in his control at this Steve, point. Steve, did you ever feel like she was angry at you? You might have. I think very rarely. But th- no, that was not the general. I just... I guess you were perhaps more angry with yourself? I was very angry with myself. And I was so hard on myself whenever I, like, relapsed and looked at porn. <laughs> I know this might be funny to someone who's hearing this that I mean, it was very much an AA program that we applied, that was applied to pornography. And so, I mean, that's how we looked at it. And see, that's what I chose to see and focus on instead of the pornography was, here's this man that I knew and loved who was a good person and he was ripping himself apart because of this one area of his life where he wasn't succeeding, where he didn't feel like he was meeting the standards that he should. And that broke my heart. And I think so often, instead of focusing on that and realizing that, we were just looking at, oh, he just keeps messing up. Why can't he do better? And looking at all the failures. Why can't you control this? Yeah. And why am I not enough for you? Why am I? And then they take it back to themselves. Am I not pretty enough? Am I not good enough in bed? Am I? Don't have big enough boobs. Yes. Don't have nice enough legs. Don't have like. Exactly. On and on and on. Yes. And it creates this horrible cycle. So in all reality, like it's, I mean, for me, like 
not ever having gone to one of these meetings, like it sounds like it was awesome to have both of these groups. I loved it because it was a chance for me to finally talk to people who got what I was going through. Jessica was incredibly understanding, but she hadn't gone through this. She yeah. didn't understand what it was like yeah. other than from understanding that she gained from our conversations. But to talk to other guys who knew what this was like and who felt the same way I did or struggled with the same things I did, at least in, in this aspect. So give me, a, give me a brief outline of how these meetings even started. It was very much... How, like, the, the progression of the meeting and... It was very much like an AA meeting. But I've never been to an AA meeting, so I don't know Hi. what that's like. Yeah, you say your name, like... Hi, my name is Jessica. Hi, Jessica. It's literally that. Okay. That's how you start, and you just go around the table, and everyone talks. They have their moment, if they feel like it. They feel like sharing, and they can talk about... So who's leading there's, this? There's a, there a moderator like, or a okay. facilitator. Facilitator, yeah, facilitator who usually starts it out with a message. Now is the facilitator like a counselor, like a no, no he's certified a, counselor. Oftentimes, or? it's somebody who's been through, through the program and is on the other like is on the side of healing and has been healing for a long time. Like they're in a good place and have been for a while. Not that they don't still mess up, but they're in a steady place. Okay. But still a member of the group who very much benefits from being yes. there and sharing their struggles and benefiting from hearing of those of others and struggles and triumphs. And So the facilitator just facilitates the, yeah. the meeting. Yeah. And kind of like keeps things on, on topic. Track. So if somebody gets okay. a little like, there were certain things that you weren't supposed to share like really like get into too detailed or, or graphic yeah they you shy away from that because it's triggers for some people or it's just you know not appropriate <laughs> and sometimes if someone goes on for far too long then they yes. would say hey we got a lot of people here let's we appreciate what you're saying yeah. but let's continue on and usually each week you started with like a different step so since this yes yes yeah. since this was church-based did you start with the opening prayer and with opening prayer yeah. yes like, oh yeah okay yes we prayed Usually the facilitator talked about the step you were on, or there was usually a pair of missionaries there too that sometimes spoke, sometimes didn't. Oh yeah, they always had someone present that was, unless I'm thinking of the other group, but I think they had someone present that was like a representative from the church that wasn't part didn't of, have part of the group that was there yeah. to just kind of oversee, oversee. Mm -hmm. yeah. observe, oversee, kind of. Make now, sure when you say they, missionaries, like 19-year-old? No, no, no. So we had like a oh. senior couple. And so it was usually a couple. So one was in with the women and one was in with the men. You're right. Yeah. And that's just was their calling in the church. So that's what their service to the church was, was to be at these meetings and help. Okay. But yeah. And I always loved, <laughs> I can't even think of who the missionary was in ours, but I remember his message. He would always share at the end and just say, I am just so incredibly impressed by you a group of men like yes you're struggling with this thing but wow what amazing power you guys have and what incredible determination and willpower and self-awareness and humility and like it was always very touching hearing from someone who who didn't experience what we were experiencing but got to observe it firsthand to hear that their takeaway was not like you sinners. You sinners, and this is a disgusting thing, or whatever. Yeah. It was very much a every week. We almost the same message of, wow, I am so impressed with you guys and so touched by being here tonight. And these, honestly, were probably the most spiritual church meetings I have ever been in. They were powerful. And I think that partially for me why it was so powerful is this is what I was good at. Like, I feel like this is a gift I've been given is to help people who are going through these similar situations. And that's one of the things that was empowering for me is that I realized I can help these women 
that are coming to these classes. I can help them. I can help them actually help their husbands in a way that's effective. Um, and, and I think Colorado Springs is kind of the place that it really, that this kind of came to light, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just oh, like yeah. over and over and over. You just ended up being the person that people would come talk to about Anything. personal issues and marital issues and so many things that they were struggling with and just gained so much. Like you really helped them. You really helped, especially women, mm-hmm. just be able to like express get, what their get, feelings were. Uh, yeah. To and, you. and gain clarity and whatever it is they were dealing with and like kind of, you know, work through the confusion and kind of figure out a plan and figure out like get back to a good place with whatever it was they were struggling with. Yeah. And the thing that was like the hardest during that time for me, at least as far as the support groups go, is these women who would come and you could just tell they were so broken, like they were so lost and struggling and they would come to these meetings and they would never come back because they would be so angry. And I mentioned this earlier that we were talking about how they could help them and not how to fix the issues with their husbands. And that's not what they wanted to hear. And that is not what they wanted to hear. So they weren't ready to hear any of it no. anyways. Because all they wanted to hear was, your husband needs to change. Yeah. And he's the one at fault and blah, blah, blah. And not to say that these women were at fault for anything. No, certainly, certainly not. No. That's... But you still have to, you can only focus on you. And if you are wanting to stay in this marriage, you have to figure out how to be okay in that situation. And then that helps and your spouse. Yeah, and you can partner. either and you can either help your spouse's situation or you can Tear make it down. worse. One or yep. the other. So it was basically and there's no happy medium. There's no middle ground. There can be a middle ground, but it's not like there's not really I mean it's I mean there's was, extremes. I mean, there were some extreme things that I heard in those meetings and okay. there's ladies that are like in the middle ground that like would show up occasionally and I think they were getting kind of bits and pieces of it, but when I say middle ground, maybe that's just like being numb to yes, and, and not even wanting to acknowledge that there's anything. Yeah, maybe that's what the middle ground is. Mm-hmm. And there was that too. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about some other kinds of support that we had down there too? Yeah. So it, during this time, we started it, it all kind of started at once. The all the support that we ended up doing. Mm-hmm. So we went to those weekly meetings religiously, like we were always there, mm-hmm. and often we were taking friends with us, like. Friends that we had just they, somehow we ended up connecting with and finding out that they were struggling with the same thing. And we were able to say, hey, there's this group. It helps. Come. You come with me. You go with Jessica. And like, sometimes the bishop, I think, sent them our way. Like yeah. he would ask us ahead of time, hey, there's somebody in the ward that's struggling. Can I give them your name? And at that and point, we did make you it clear were okay with it. We were both okay with that. Yeah. Yes. And well, and another resource that the bishop had introduced me to was... After that that first week when I went back, one of them was this group. The other one was, he said, there's an individual. Now, when you say this group, you're talking about the pornography group. Yes. The pornography. Okay, got so, it. So when I went back that second week to talk to the bishop after he'd done his research and to find out what resources were available, one of them was that pornography addiction group. The other one was, he said, there is an individual here in Colorado Springs that, how much, I don't know how much detail to give right now, but he's... A member of the church. He's married. He's gay. He's dealt with this for decades, and he has said he'd be willing to talk to you. Kind of counsel. Yeah. So I went and met with him at his home, and in fact, I think I did this before. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember this. I mean, I know 
who you're talking to and what you're referring, but I don't remember you going in like... Yeah, we went and sat on his patio. His wife was inside. We went and sat on his patio and talked, and I just opened up to him. And it was the first person I had ever talked to about being gay and Mormon and married that was also gay and Mormon and married. First time I had ever been able so to... automatically there's a connection with oh, this guy. Oh, huge connection. <laughs> and it was just so good to see him, like, happy and married and, like, working in through. good standing in the church and, like, being yeah. where I wanted to be in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we became friends and... I think that's awesome that that person is willing to, to give some service and right. some knowledge and wisdom and to those who may be struggling. So all, that it was guy. great. It was huge. He's a great man. So we also, at that time, we became aware of a group that met in Denver that was like every other week. How far away Denver. is Denver from Colorado 45 Springs? 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, we have to draw another map. It was... <laughs> draw another map. <laughs> Evergreen was the organization, also church-based, not like separate from the church, but Mormon-based. And it was for gay Mormons. It was a support group for gay Mormons who were in my scenario of trying to mm-hmm. not, not, not... To live... Yeah, trying to live a... Church standards while still being gay. Yeah, I don't know why I struggle through whenever I get to that point of talking about it. I never know what to say, but trying to stay on the straight and narrow despite the fact that you're gay. And that was awesome. It was a much smaller group, a much more intimate group. Um, there'd be like four to seven of us. Yeah. In fact, I think the first time I went, there were just three, and it kind of grew. And I also took some people to that. As I did, you bring your wife? No, it was just that the, was just for just for, men. Just for Steve. Mm-hmm. And that was like every other Sunday. Every other Sunday, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and so Steve would leave, and I mean, it was like hours. You would be gone for like. Yeah, they'd usually end up being like a two-hour meeting. It was much less formal, a lot less people. Yes, there was still a facilitator, but we would just talk much more openly and. You know, we'd share our struggles, what we were dealing with that week and what were triggers and if we'd relapsed or if we'd had a great week or if we just what was going on in life and where we're at in our relationships. And now we, were all these men they were married? All, no, no. It was no. all over the board of yeah. what their situations were. OK. And I met a few of these guys. Yeah, I came. We I became, became really friends. good friends with a couple of them. Still, still. I yeah. Am. So at this time, too, like, I mean, I don't want to go away from the evergreen, but, like, you were still working in the same job. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Day in and day out. Mm-hmm. You were staying at home with Penny. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Yep. And then you yeah. also were seeing a counselor. I saw a counselor who... So you're getting a lot of help. We're like, getting a, a lot, lot of support. A lot of resources, which, and, and of kudos, course, there was none of this in Belize. Right. And kudos to you guys for actually, like, putting out your feelers, reaching out, and trying to... Mm-hmm. We were dedicated to this. Yeah. We were dedicated to our marriage. We were dedicated to each other. And we both really got a lot of fulfillment out of this process, this journey of learning about ourselves and opening up and connecting with other people that understood us and mutually benefiting from us supporting them and them supporting us. And and it was funny how many more connections we ended up making. It's like... I mean, it's no secret that when you share your story, it gives permission to other people to share the, right. theirs. And one of the reasons why we're recording this exactly, podcast. Exactly, exactly. So there were a lot of times that I don't even know how we ended up connecting with some of these people, but it's I like, don't what? Either. I don't either. But it's just like somehow, you know, it just came to 
you would realize, oh, I struggle with the same thing. Then we like talk about it. Yeah, open up. And it was interesting because like we didn't really tell a whole lot of people. I mean, there was one other couple that knew you were gay outside Mm -hmm. of these support groups. One couple of our friends that knew you were gay. Did your families know at this point? I came out to my mom while we were in Colorado Springs. I don't remember how far into that year and a half. We were there for a year and a half. Okay, that was going to be my next question, how long you were there. And I was going to prepare you guys for that question because it was going to be a little. (laughs) We were there a year and a half. And I, so it was about a year before Steve and I got divorced that he told his mom that he was gay. And before I told anyone else in my family. And around that. that go? That was a deep sigh. I don't remember everything that led up to it, but I know I just really wanted to, I just wanted to tell her I wanted to, I started to want people to know, like I was sick of carrying around this burden and there's seriously this big secret in the back of my head. I would always think, you know, someone who loves me or was thought I was great or whatever in the back of my head, I was always think, yeah, but if you really knew. And so like with my mom, like, I was thinking if she really knew that I was gay and that I struggled with pornography, what would she really think? Would she still love you? Would she still love me? So I was sick of thinking that. I was sick of hearing that stupid voice in the back of my head. So I wanted to just get it out there. And I was in a good enough place from, you know, after all years support. of this, from all the support and from opening up with Jessica about it all. And that I finally was like ready to. Start telling people about this. It didn't need to be. A, so tell me dark. about that day. Tell me about that day. How you gained the courage to make that phone call? Well, I went to. She came to town, didn't she? No, this was on the phone. Oh, okay. I went to this like green belt kind of thing. The pathways along the river that I used to go run all the time. Yeah. And worked up the courage to call her and tell her. I was sobbing by the time like. She answered the phone and I was just like, mom, I have, I have to tell you that I'm gay. And literally was just like sobbing and trying to get the words out. It just came out that quick. Yeah. I just had to. Like I knew I wasn't going to do it if I didn't just come straight out and say it. What was her reaction? Like, yeah. Uh, I don't remember specifically in that phone call. I remember a lot of follow-up phone calls. Yeah. But for her, like calling like basically checking in like <laughs> now she knew she needs to check in all the time to see where we're really at and it's, it's weird that i don't remember her yeah. immediate but reaction do you do you remember it was this like a five minute phone call was it was this long a, a 20 minute like it what, was long if, and i did most of the talking she was very quiet and so she i was, think it was kind of a she was being a good listener she was being a good listener and i think it was kind of the approach of the bishop of I don't know what to say about this and I don't want to say the wrong thing. So let me process. But I do know she said, I guess the one thing I do remember from this this phone call is that she said she loves me. She's glad I felt like I could tell her this doesn't change how she feels about me. And that's what you needed to hear. That is what I needed. Exactly. And so boom, just like, just like that, you now do not have to carry this burden that's in the back of your mind. I still needed to hear your that mom. like 8,000 more times yeah. <laughs> over and, the next several years. <laughs> well, and honestly, you'll still need to hear that mm-hmm. throughout the rest of your life. Yes. And my mom and I talked about this very recently. <laughs> like how recently? How, um, a couple months ago. Yeah. About how I still need to hear that sometimes, that I still need to be reminded of that. But uh, 
So she was the first one I came out to, and we didn't talk about it regularly going forward, but like you said, Jessica, every once in a while, a little check-in phone call. My mom is not one to pry into feelings, but she will just... like my mom. But she will <laughs> just kind of, at some point, you know, at the end of a phone call, just kind of mention it, doing? like, are you... how are you doing? And I kind of knew what she meant with how are you doing. Yeah. Because we'd already talked about how I was doing <laughs> with yeah. work Do you and know... school and Penny and whatever. Do you know at this point if she had discussed this with your, your dad? She didn't, and I was not comfortable with her doing that. So you asked her not yes. to? Yes. Okay. See, Steve went to his mom, too. Right. I know. Hey. <laughs> That's what moms are for. It's right. It was a huge relief ending that phone call. And I still kept crying for like another hour on that walkway <laughs> after ending the phone call with her. And this, this was, these were like tears of relief. Just like yeah, so much emotion of letting this out and having finally told it to my mom. And that it didn't go horribly wrong. So ultimately it was a positive thing. A good relief. Liberating. Yeah. For sure. People ask me. I've had several moms or loved ones of someone who's gay ask me what is the right thing to say. And I don't know why it took me so long to kind of figure out what that is, but really it is just what someone needs to hear when they come out to you, no matter who you are, their parent, their loved one, their friend, their whatever. What they need to hear is that you still love them. You still want them in your life. This does not change how you feel about them. That is the right thing that they need to hear. Yeah. I don't even think they need to hear more than that. <laughs> That's it. And I think that goes vice versa too. Like yeah. that may be your loved one too. Like they need to hear that from you as well. For sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the thing that worked in our marriage too, is we were both very good about expressing that mm-hmm. to the other person. Like you can tell me all these things. Steve could tell me everything that happened and the things he struggled with and what he really was feeling And every time he did, I affirmed that I still loved him, that we still cared about each other and that it didn't change how I felt. Yeah. And it was an amazing experience every time that happened to be able to completely unload all of the things I was struggling with and all of these horrible thoughts I was having is how I viewed them. And for you to love me that much more after hearing it was just incredible. And I think that's one of the biggest issues in marriages is that One of the partners is too scared to say what it is they're struggling with because they don't want to burden the other person or they're too scared of what the other person is going to say or how they're going to, how they're going to react. And I figure if the person reacts in a way that is hurtful and harmful to you, then that tells you how that person either really feels about themselves or how they really feel about you. And you need to decide if that's a healthy relationship. Like that's what that says. But if somebody is willing to share those things with you, and you really love them, you reinforce that, you feel closer to them now because they've been willing to share that. Like it just brings you closer. And I think that's the thing we miss so often in any relationship is that by sharing your true self with somebody that you love just makes you closer. That's what should happen in that situation. I mean, look at any relationship you have. Like, at least for me, the people who know my (laughs) and the people who I know (laughs) like and we still understand each other we still support each other we still enjoy each other we still love each other after knowing each other (laughs) those are the people I'm close with it's a lot of crap there Steve I know (laughs) but it's true that's what makes deep connections and that's what's real and that's what you want yep yeah I want to ask one more question and 
it has to do with these support groups. And Steve, do you think it was beneficial for the support group? And would you recommend that anybody reach out and go to these support groups even now? Definitely. Like, yeah, definitely. And so how would they get in contact or even start going to a support group if they want to give that a try? Somebody called me about this the other day. Oh, really? I think sometimes people think that I know about like all addictions and stuff. <laughs> but I'm glad people reach out to me because I do know mm-hmm. how to find the resources. You probably know things that apply to yes, all addictions. Yes, I do. I do. And I've learned a lot in all of this throughout the years. And so if you are a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if you're LDS. But even if you're not, right? Even if you're not, you are welcome. At, these are the groups I know about are the church groups. You can get on lds.org and you can find support groups in your area. There are lots of them. They're for tons of different issues. They have them for food addictions. They have them for pornography. They have them for drugs and alcohol, like all over the board. And they have them for friends and family. So here's what we're going to do. We'll put a link to where exactly you can find this in your area. Yeah. So that if you are, or even considering reaching out, like reach out because there's so many people that are like you, that you you know, you can develop these deep relationships with and receive that support. And I yeah. think that's really important to know about and to reach out to. Why struggle alone? Yeah. When right. there are other people who understand your struggle. Right. Find, find those people and talk to them. Awesome. One other thing that I wanted to talk about real quick. Jessica, you just got your book. Yes. And this actually goes right along with my book. It's like... Steve and Matt asked me fairly often, how did you do this? But how did you do this? I go into that more in the book. And I'm also going to have a journal that goes along with that that has different prompts and things for you to help you figure out how you can create these relationships, how you can take yourself out of the other person's issues and see them as a person and see their struggles. The title is It's Not You, It's Me. And why did you choose that title? Because so often, first of all, it's catchy because it's a breakup line. (laughs) But the point is, we have to focus on ourselves. And then we can come to our relationships with the best version of ourselves possible. And that is what's going to create the lasting relationships and what's going to help you heal your relationship. So this book is mostly like a self-focused book of Mm -hmm. how can a person, individual, male, female, can focus in on themselves and really figure out first how to love themselves and then... And how that translates into loving other people. Well, and the subtitle is a guide to... What is it? A guide. Taking yourself out of other people's drama. Which I didn't realize. I knew you had written this book. I knew... I thought it was just your story kind of a biography <laughs> thing. I didn't realize until you showed me the cover art this week that it's actually a guide to yeah. removing yourself from other people's drama. Meaning, like, basically the way that you didn't take this personally that you didn't take my drama upon yourself so to speak and take it personally right yeah i mean isn't that kind of what that means yes i don't know i haven't read the book yet full disclosure (laughs) (laughs) he started reading it tonight i I saw it for the first time right before we started recording up in the kitchen so one of my favorite questions that jessica just let me know about today was so Steve asked me what he needs to be aware of in my book. <laughs> <laughs> what stories do I tell about him? Yeah, I just got real, real concerned all of a sudden. And now that you were publishing and I'm like, oh, what crap. am I going to be embarrassed about from this book? <laughs> Not about me. me. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. She doesn't mention. I saw my name an awful lot in that book. <laughs> Matt's name's in there a lot too. So 
It is? <laughs> I didn't see your name in there when I flipped through. But again, it was like five minutes. But, right. but the whole idea is we want to healthy relationships. And this is the way that I did it. And I want to be able to share that. So it isn't a biography. It is a guide of how to kind of create what we've created. Just cool. Yeah. yeah. So how can somebody get their hands on, the, on your book? So we, if you follow us on Instagram and Facebook, we will be updating you and we'll let you know here for sure. But we will have a website up in probably the next couple weeks where you can go buy that book, get your hands on it. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Steve and Matt are going to write books next. Oh, crap. Crap is right. I'll write write yours if you write (laughs) (laughs) I like that idea. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Husband-in-Law. All right. Now we have a challenge for you. We challenge you to go give someone a huge hug or send a simple gratitude note who needs to receive it specifically from you. If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't subscribed yet, please be sure to do so now. Also, don't forget to give us a review. We read every single one of them. Until next time, keep striving to make your relationship the best it can possibly be.